Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Do you tend to procrastinate? Do you wait till the last minute to get things done? Well, then you're going to like this. Depending on when you listen, you might be too late. But on Thursday, March 24th, at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we will be doing the first Smart People Podcast Mastermind Webinar. And we're going to have special host Dave Burse. You may remember Dave from a previous Smart People Podcast episode. He is a former advertising executive, TED speaker, consultant, and creativity guru. And he's going to be telling you the top six ways anyone can be more creative. Head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash burse, B-I-R-S-S, and reserve your spot before it's too late. smartpeoplepodcast.com slash burse. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here, and thank you for joining us. I'm excited today. I think we're covering a topic we've never covered before on the show. 250-something episodes in. That's a rare feat. Today we are talking to Morgan Wright, and we're talking about your identity. No, not the crisis you're having, but identity theft or cyber terrorism, cybersecurity in general. And of course, as always, we go straight to the expert. Morgan is an internationally recognized expert on cybersecurity strategy, 
cyber-terrorism, identity theft, and privacy. His landmark testimony before Congress on healthcare.gov changed how the government collected personally identifiable information. He's been all over TV, all over the news. He's like the go-to guy. So we got him on and we're going to talk about how do you protect yourself? What can you do as this growing world of cyber-terrorism and identity theft happens alongside the fact that we're always online and we're always connected. Well, Morgan's going to break it down and give you some really useful tips on exactly what to do. And then we're also going to talk about what does it even mean, right? How are they stealing your stuff, your identity? And we go down a few other rabbit holes as we always do here. Remember, guys, if you happen to listen to this before Thursday, sign up for the free webinar to learn how to get more creative. And on this webinar, aside from all of the great stuff that Dave Burst is going to be doing, we are going to be talking about the Smart People Podcast Mastermind, and we are going to be offering the lowest price that will ever happen in the history of the Mastermind, and you will only be able to get it that day. So head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Burst, B-I-R-S-S, sign up for the free webinar. On the webinar, you're also going to be able to ask Dave questions. When else are you going to be able to just freely ask a creativity expert your burning questions? And perhaps most importantly, make sure you're signed up for our newsletter so you don't have to wait till the day before for you to get any of this stuff. All right? You can find us at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. As always, we do this for you. This content's free. Enjoy it. Soak it in. Be sure to reach out to Morgan if you like what you hear. And we hope that perhaps we make you a little bit safer today. Enjoy this episode with Morgan Wright. Morgan, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Can't wait to discuss some kind of terrifying things with you, but uh, but thanks for joining us. Well, the only terrifying thing is seeing me in a Speedo, so I think it's only up from there. So. I don't know if that's the only terrifying, but I got to admit, that might be. I don't know. But, you know, we were just talking about, and we said, man, we got to hit the record button here. You know, how you, you're surprised. Sometimes people go, oh, I don't understand technology. And you say, okay, do you get the fact that you shouldn't click certain links in emails? Yep. And what's insane is like, okay, I'm 32, I think. <laughs> once, once you turn like 28, you stop counting. But, um, and so pretty tech savvy and it always just seemed obvious, right? There are certain things you don't click on, but God bless her. My mother, you know, she's great. She's smart, but she didn't grow up necessarily with technology. And she'll, she'll say like, Hey, I don't think I should click on this. Well, yes, you probably shouldn't. And it's really an issue. I mean, you must deal with people all the time who like, that's a big aha moment for them. Well, let, let me tell you, it's not just the older folks, um, like mothers and grandmothers. Um, there are, there is one company full of smart people out in Silicon Valley. In fact, the owner of the company is also the owner of the NBA Grizzlies. They make very technical equipment for high-speed wireless networks. I mean, a lot of engineers in that place. And over a single, well, a single email, but a set of emails, not in breaking into the company, not compromising the company, not hacking in, but simply because they use social engineering and email, they were able to steal $46.7 million away from a company called Ubiquity Networks. 
in San Jose, California. I mean, Mountain View. So, wow. look, you could be a rocket engineer and still fall victim to this. Why? Because we're all creatures of habit. We get into a, oh, I trust an email that comes from you. And then the problem is it's not really from you because I didn't really look at the link close enough. It's from somebody that sounds like you, kind of spells their name like you because this person's figured out you know them. And trust me, these are real things that happen. There's another report out there. The FBI hasn't said who the company is, but they apparently lost $90 million through what's called business email compromise. So look, I'm telling you, people thought email was going to go away. They said, oh, it's dead. You know, it's going to be replaced by social media. Eh, Wrong. Uh, It is probably the biggest tool for stealing money right now compared to anything. So yeah, if there's a link in there, we'll talk a little bit too about, and then when we talk about the guide and some of the videos, Mm -hmm. we'll give some clues about how to spot phonies, how to spot fakes, and why when somebody says, hey, I think you're cute and they're from Russia, that's your first clue. You should never (laughs) click on a link in that email. Yeah, well, actually explain to me how this works. I've always wondered it. So say somebody does uh, send me a link and I click on it and go, oh man, I probably shouldn't have. What is their goal? What's going on behind the scenes? What is that all about? So let's take one step back and really define a couple terms here because we're going to talk about fishing and spear fishing. And it sounds just like exactly what it is, even though it's spelled different. It's spelled P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. But if you've ever gone fishing, for those folks, I'm a Kansas farm boy, went fishing all the time. You take your rod, your reel out there, you bait the hook. You throw it in there, and you you have bait, but you wait to see till something comes along. I haven't targeted anything in particular. I just have a place where I know there's going to be a lot of fish. So I throw the bait out there, and when somebody clicks it, boom, then I get them, then, then I catch the bait. Spearfishing, on the other hand, is when I've targeted something. I'm looking at a specific target, a specific fish. I've got my spear. I'm not just going after anything that swims by. I have a real target. So let's put this in technology terms. When you're out there fishing, you're sending out mass emails that say, hey, like from Nigeria, hey, um, I, my name is Uncle so-and-so. Um, I, you know, my, uh, I'm about to die, and I need to leave my $50 million to some poor sucker in the United States. Those are phishing emails because then when you click on those, many of those times, that's compromising account information like, hey, just send us your information. We'll deposit some money. Well, now they have your bank account or your email address with a username or a, hey, uh, reply back to us. They, then they start working the scam. So those things like that are phishing. You know, you get on a website, you say, hey, click here to download this special report. Boom, next thing you know, they've compromised your browser. They've gotten your credentials, which is really what they're after. They're after either injecting malicious software, they call malware, or they're after stealing your credentials so they can uh, get into your email, into potentially even things like bank accounts. And that's Fishing. That, well, and that, and thank you for that because you know I'd heard the term fishing, I, and now it makes a lot of sense. But more specifically, I mean, really, what can they do? And I know this this happens, and I know I just don't know enough about it. But I click on a link. Tell us the actual nitty gritty, like how what are they getting from me just so, by me going to some? I don't I don't even know where I'm gonna go. Yeah, well, a lot of times it's people on sites they shouldn't be on, um, and not just porn sites. Uh, you guys out there listening to this, get your minds out of the gutter. It's mm-hmm. also you might be downloading pirated music from your favorite BitTorrent site. You know, or go to Pirate Bay, Silk Road. You know, some of these places where you're tr- you want to get something that's not quite legal, or you're on a website that uh, has lots and lots of ads. So what it is, a lot of times it's called JavaScript. And it gets you, and the the things that are really vulnerable to this are Windows-based machines. Mac machines, not so much. Uh, Linux, not so much. Windows-based machines, especially. But 
What it does, it it takes and it injects code into your machine. So what they're actually after, it could be compromising your machine. Another reason is to turn it into part of what's called a botnet, a robot network, to where they compromise your machine and use that to launch denial of service attacks or hijack it and take it over. So there's a lot of things just simply, if I'm just out casting about, a phishing attack can do. So you, while they may not be, you know, a phishing attack a lot of times may be able to compromise you because it gets you to go to a site to say, hey, look, um, I might find out what your browser is and find out in your history there's a bank site there then serve you up a fake link for a bank site to say, oh, your password, try again, you know, reset your password, type in your password, mm. you know, type in your old one, type in a new one. Those things happen all the time, believe it or not. It looks legitimate, um, and that's what phishing can do. But, you know, the one that worries me is, spe- is spear phishing. That's when somebody has taken the time to say, hey, I'm going to focus on Morgan Wright or Chris or John or whoever it is. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to go to LinkedIn. I'm going to go to Facebook. I'm going to check your social media. I'm going to Google your name. I'm going to see what I know about you. And this is, this is exactly how a scam happens because now what I want to do is I want to get into your company. So now I send you a targeted email, and I create a relationship. This goes on maybe over a period of two weeks. Finally, you say, hey, look, hey, you were just telling me we were talking about, uh, let's say, um, the latest trends in automotive design. I've got this great report I just got from a friend of mine that shows, hey, here's what Ford's coming out with, and I send it to you, and it's a PDF. So guess what's in that PDF? A package of malware that the minute you click on it, it, it links, it, it de- deploys the malware package. It's the payload, the bad payload. And now this is an actual case that happened out in California to a company called Ascension Builders. It was be- They were able to compromise uh, the bookkeepers, the financial person's uh, machine, was able to go in and redirect their online banking to a fake site. It stole their credentials. They went in and drained $900,000 out of their account over Christmas and while the accountant was trying to log into what they thought was the legitimate site, it was a fake site made to look like le- the legitimate site. And it just basically said, hey, we're down for maintenance right now. Check back in a while. So it, it kept delaying them, delaying the reporting of it, uh-huh. delaying the discovery of it while they continued to drain money out of the account. Wow. So those are some things that phishing and spear phishing can do. Let me ask you something that's uh, near and dear to my heart because, again, I, I consider myself fairly savvy, but my email – sends emails to people without me doing it, right? So I know this is some type of, you know, hacker, scammer thing, right? So, like, I'll get texts, hey, you just sent me an email that's spyware, malware, or whatever, uh, change your password. And how does that happen? What did I do? And how can I get rid of it? So many times it could be something you clicked on, believe it or not, Facebook, uh, Twitter are places that are just rife with uh Lots and lots of uh, links to take you into dark alleys, you know, and get access to your account. They, they'll take over your account, click on links and web pages, click on somebody else's email that has a link in there. So Facebook has actually become one of the most popular platforms to do it. Why? Because they got 1.2 billion people on there. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, if he were a country, would be, I think, the world's third largest country at this point, maybe second largest. So that's a lot of people. So that's one of the biggest ways uh, that they get access to it. And a lot of times, see, it's not just the fact is that we'll change your password. Well, it's not just changing your password. It's like you've now got malicious software on your machine. So, for example, um, I've got a Mac. The first true ransomware malicious software package just came out for the Mac, the very first one. So think about how long Apple has been in business. Think about how long ransomware has been around. So the very first one has been out there. To get that one, you had to go to a BitTorrent site, uh, Transmissions. 
and download pirated software, pirated music, you know, things like that, pirated movies. So mm. that's how you got it. But on Windows machines, it could be just as simple as Facebook, Twitter, you know, things like that. That's how they're getting in there. A lot of these scams work off of your trust of the person whose message that is. And quite frankly, at the end of the day, you probably don't know how you got it. But the point is, if you don't have a package on your machine that runs malicious software detection, I mean, antivirus, there's somebody, you know, there are a million th- new threats a day coming out, a million. So you can't defend against them all. So what you have to do is make sure you scan for the major things like malicious software. And I will tell you, one of the biggest things you can do, because if they've got your email, chances are they may have access to the rest of your machine. You make sure you back up all the time. And the reason being is that when you get hit by ransomware, where they actually hold your data hostage and they say, we want $300 or $500 in Bitcoin before you can get it back, the easiest way to get your data back is just simply erase everything that's on your machine and restore from your latest backup. That's the easiest way to do it. But you know what? Most people don't back up. Now, if you do that, do you... Because so I have this right. I have a external hard drive. Thanks to John, actually, he's very he he couldn't be on this episode, but he's very techy and he's like my like uh, go to. So he was like, okay, get an external hard drive. You go in, you do Time Machine. It backs everything up. Right. And um, but if I were to reinstall that, uh, would it have the malicious software on the backup? So I'd essentially just be reinfecting my computer. You know, that's a good point. And a lot uh, to something. On usually not on a backup because the malicious software is designed to attack the uh, you know operating system and it embeds itself in there as a hidden file, so it's not getting backed up or uh. it's and the backup is not it's only see like with my backup I can reinstall the OS the operating system anytime I want so I don't back up the operating system I keep everything in Dropbox um, everything that I work on or iCloud everything of mine is either stored in the cloud even Evernote. I store all of those things in there, so I only back up data. I don't back up operating systems or applications because I can download those anytime. That helps you prevent against doing exactly what you said. If I've downloaded a bad application, the last thing I want to do is keep reinstalling the bad application and going, well, how come this keeps happening? Because you keep reinstalling the back door. Interesting. Okay. Wow. And just to not to belabor the point, but when they then use my email to send out emails is their goal to just essentially keep infecting computers like what is the end goal of these folks global domination i mean they want to keep uh they want to keep using your email because the minute it comes from you there is a trust relationship between you and the person that email is being sent to so your guard goes down your barriers go down and guess what you're doing you're clicking on that link because it says hey chris just sent you a message that said hey you got to check out this video right exactly. you check out this video guess what happens boom you've installed that and it keeps propagating. That's the difference between, and you know, there are some terms of art here because people sometimes mistake uh, worms for viruses. So, um, you know, one of the things a worm can replicate itself; it doesn't need any help to spread. Where a virus needs action on the user to spread it. So, you click on a link in there, it opens up, it attacks your email address book, and then it sends out emails. And then the only way it spreads is somebody has to click on that link. Where a worm, like what was uh, back when Iran's centrifuges were attacked. And this gets into a little bit of the cyber terrorism we were talking about. Right. It's actually from a good standpoint, you know, taking her out 
Iran's nuclear program is not a bad thing, but there was the flame virus which spread and did reconnaissance on the in- inside network, and then there was the Stuxnet worm, which was a munition. It was designed to uh, seek and destroy and spread on its own. It did not need any help. So their goal is, to, from a virus standpoint, is to get you to spread the malicious payload, which infects the machines, and then their goals could be take over of your account, credential compromise, turn you into a botnet, steal data, steal financial information. I mean, it, any thousand number of things that you could think is is the reason that these uh, online uh, or these hackers, scammers, and thieves are trying to get online and steal your data, your information, and they do it by compromising trust between now, you and your friends. Given that you've been doing this for a long time, you've seen a lot, and I want to get into some stories, but who and where are these people? Like, what possesses you... To do this, is it mostly kind of countries that don't have a lot of opportunity, or is it right here in America? I mean, wh- who is it? Now that that kind of no, it's really not that. Let me tell you, it's it's this. Um, what I've told people is, don't fall into the trap of thinking that oh, like uh, you know, we were all were out here in the Northern Virginia area during nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at the Reagan Building. People said, well, they did it because these folks have no jobs, no opportunities. Well, look, all nineteen hijackers were educated. Th- there wasn't an issue of opportunity. These folks that are doing it now, it's not an issue of opportunities. It is organized crime. It is people who are now. It turned first of all, it was a hobby. Then it became a business. Now it be, now it's become a racket. And and or, organized crime has a lot to do with ransomware, uh, the creation of hard currency in somebody else's country, nation state actors, things like Iran, China, North Korea, Russia. These are all bad people out there that are uh, attempting. In fact, spear phishing is the number one tactic used by intelligence agencies to compromise a targeted account. For example, us folks out here in Northern Virginia, a lot of folks that have had security clearances, mine included. We fill out what's called a standard form 86, an SF-86. That's what the government uses to do a background on you to determine if they can trust you with classified information and if you should be granted a security clearance. The way that they broke into OPM and the contractor who was working with OPM and the State Department and all these other folks is through spear phishing, targeted emails. So we have state actors. We have organized crime. We have loosely affiliated groups that are like hacktivists, for example, anonymous they're more they're more they have a political agenda not necessarily so much for money but they you know they they attack police departments they attack law enforcement uh but then they also go after ISIS so it's kind of determined whether or not they're a good guy bad guy they're they're right. gray hats they depending on the cause you know they're either a white hat or a black hat so they're somewhere in the middle so we've gone from just the kids who were it was a hobby and breaking in to where now this is a business a legitimate business from a standpoint of organized crime and espionage i mean it's it's a tried and true tactic and it will get worse in 2016 over what it was in 2015 yeah and i think it'll just keep getting worse and actually that brings me to my next question which is you know people will ask me say it's a family member or i don't know i'll talk to people on the phone on podcasts and they'll say oh i don't use google chrome because google knows everything or i don't use gmail i'm just using google even though right. whatever but there's a lot of steps that they take i don't i don't have a facebook account i don't put pictures on facebook whatever it is and my response to date has been you know what i really don't care because i feel like it's all out there anyways is that a, is that just an apathetic incorrect way to deal <laughs> with it i mean if somebody wants to hack me they're going to hack me i i really don't think i can stop it well, no, and you bring up a good point. The question is, we spend so much of our time on defense, should we be investing some of that time in detection and response? And so my my response has always been, look, 
I can't prevent my house from burning down. I can take a lot of steps to prevent it. I can put in smoke detectors. I can make sure I don't put things around the hot water heater, uh, you know, things like that. But if something happens, I want to make sure that I have the fastest fire department on the block as well. So I want to make sure their response time is good. So insurance rates for houses are many times based upon how close or how far away you are from a fire department. The insurance companies know this. So in this day and age, what we're seeing, and I'm actually getting ready to go. I've got several uh, keynote speeches coming up over the next two to three months. And one of the companies I'm working with in terms of launching a product, uh, it's a company that's worked a lot in the intelligence community, and now they're coming out doing some commercial work. But we've talked about insurance, and they need to be able to figure out how to insure people against being breached because the standard uh, posture now is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And there's really only two types of companies out there. You'll hear many people say it, so I can't claim claim credit that this is original. But there's only two kinds of companies out there, those who have been breached and those who will be breached. Mm-hmm. There, there are no exceptions. Everyone, And I heard this from the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, who was briefing the general counsels for the Fortune 50. Every, he said every one of the Fortune 500 has been breached. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Mm-hmm. So there is nobody immune. And look, if they want to come after you, you have a better chance of being a victim of a drive-by, in other words, a phishing attack or clicking on a link you shouldn't as opposed to a targeted campaign to come after you. Mm-hmm. But you're right. you got to take – and we'll talk about this too. You can take three to four basic steps that will make you a much harder target. And think about a burglar going down a street. Do you want to go break into the house that has a dog out front, uh, mm-hmm. has motion-activated floodlights, a sign in the yard that says an alarm, and their windows are all shut and locked? or the person that left their front door open and apparently is gone because there's three old newspapers in the driveway. That's a great point and a great analogy. So I do want to get into actionable steps we can take. But first, I would like to hear from you. What are the common, the, the most common things that happen to individuals? So, you know, there's a couple of things I want to talk about for the rest of the podcast, one being cyber terrorism, uh, what we can do. But really, first, I, I want to get a better sense of what are the different things that these hackers, scammers, fishers are doing to the general public that you're seeing? I'll tell you, I think the, the biggest thing right now um, that we're seeing is, is from a standpoint of um, just the email. Is, is Email and social media are the biggest vectors, as they say, the biggest ways to insert um, bad things into what you're doing. So think of a disease. It's exactly like a disease. For a disease to spread, they have what they call disease vectors. You know, and can we figure out where the point of origin is? Well, the point of origin is, is two main things right now. It is uh, email and it is social media. And people are just – the problem is, look, people are on there all the darn time. I was about to say damn time, but I don't know if we're supposed to use four-letter oh, words. Oh, you can say podcast. whatever you want. <laughs> no. Okay. That's about as bad as it'll get. Look, Because, uh, okay. look, you can get the point across without having to um, you know, get too graphic. You but can, I'm not... but it's not always as fun. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, pe- look, trust me. People do stupid stuff. I was asked to give a prediction about 2015 or 16. What's going to happen in 2016? I said – but nothing new. It's the same stupid stuff we were doing in 2015. We click on links in email we shouldn't. We open up attachments in emails we shouldn't. We click on links in Facebook that we shouldn't. I will give you a perfect example, and you can take this to the bank and go to sleep on it and know that I'm 100% like Arnold said, hear me now, believe me later. Huh. Um, it is the fact is that any time you want to view a video on Facebook and it says before you can view this video, you have to install a codec, that is a scam, that is... 
most likely spyware at the least and malware at the most. So you, you know, if you look on Facebook, they auto start. You don't have to. You don't have to install anything to watch a video on on Facebook. Absolutely, yeah. So if somebody says click here to do this, run away, run away very fast. You don't have to do that. I, and I'll tell you, some of the simple stuff too. It's here's the problem. We all think too much technically, and we forget some of the things that happen in the real world. Like um, one of the easiest ways to get your identity. And I've, there are so many videos on this. Have you seen the Jimmy Kimmel video of how the, easy it was to get people's passwords? No. Oh, man, I do this in my presentation. I showed them this video. But just Google. Uh, go to YouTube and type Jimmy Kimmel passwords. <laughs> and uh, I actually was asked on Fox News to do an analysis of the president's State of the Union address when he talked about cyber. This was a year ago, a year ago this last January, same time Jimmy Kimmel did his video. And people gave away their information. They said, well, you know, we're just talking about the strengths of security. How secure is yours? Oh, it's strong. Uh, you know, I, I use um, I use my pet's name in a random set of numbers. Oh, really? What kind of pet do you have? A cat. What's her name? And by the in, in thirty <laughs> oh seconds, she's your your cat's name and the numbers because it's her date of birth. Wow. I mean, people are their own worst enemy when it comes to this. I have to tell you that. So that's what I see people doing. You have to remember though, there's online, offline, and real world stuff. So online is clicking on things that they shouldn't. Uh, responding to things that they shouldn't and giving away too much information that they shouldn't. Offline are these scams that come in from pretending to be the Microsoft technical support or the IRS. You know, people fall victims for that. And then real world is you go into a doctor's office and they say, we need your social security number. My response is, no, you don't. Interesting. Yeah, actually, I know that goes into your uh, your five five tips to stay safe. One of them is to simply say no. Simp- SSN, social security number equals simply say no. I, love I, I have... I have made it a practice that when somebody asks for my social security number, I write refuse to divulge or mm. something like that. Right. And I hand it back to them. And you know what? 99.9% of the time, nobody even looks at it. It's just on that form they ask for. It. So I asked somebody one time, why do you ask for it? Uh, because we always do. Yes, but why? Right. Nobody knows why. Well, and actually, I've always wondered this. Why is the social security number so coveted, so highly guarded? Well, I mean, originally, it's it's a unique identifier. So it's close as we've come to uniquely identifying everybody in our society, almost equivalent to a fingerprint. So, uh, in fact, there are ways you can look up the origins of Social Security numbers. Like, for example, 510 through 515, where I was in Kansas, the first three numbers, identify that number as originating in Kansas. So, But they were originally designed, it was just for, you know, the, this retirement. It was never meant to identify you. And what started happening, especially in the medical field, is they found out that uh, there could be two John Smiths and two Dave Wilsons, and even with similar date of birth. So how do you, how do you know that you're dealing with the right one? You get their Social Security number. So which Dave Smith are you? Uh, get your Social Security number. That way we don't get medical records confused. Well, the problem is there's no legal requirement unless, and I, there's always a caveat, unless you're applying for a government program where by law they have the right to ask of you your Social Security number to see if you're already entitled to benefits or if you're already receiving benefits and you're not entitled to these. So a federal government program like Medicare, Medicaid, they get to ask for that number. But if you go to your plumber doesn't need it, your dentist doesn't need it, you know, so I mean, that's a lot of times what happens. So people will divulge, uh, and the social security number now, in a sense, for a while, I remember back in the days, back when I was stupid. I really hasn't changed, but <laughs> back when I was stupider, I should say. But years and years and years ago, when we first got married, you know, what was on the front of our checks, our name and, and social security number. Really? Oh, my social security number. I remember when the social security number used to be the driver's license number in some places. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I've always, but it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense that because it's one of the most unique numbers, 
just another piece of information. Actually, I was going to say, so let me add on to that real quick. So that, this is why healthcare is the number one targeted industry over retail. They just passed them this last year. Why? Because medical records are the golden goose. They have your name, your date of birth, your social security number, your address, your spouse's name a lot of times, your children's name. They, uh, if you go onto these open markets that you can either find on Tor, what's called the Onion uh, Router Network, um, these dark web places, um, that credit cards go for fifty cents a record if you're lucky because they're such a commodity. Medical records fifty to seventy dollars. Why? Because you've got credit cards don't have your social security number, but medical records most more often than not do. Wait, you can go somewhere and buy credit card number for 50 cents well you have to buy it in batches but that's basically yeah i was i was doing a a a presentation for an insurance company last year in dallas texas at the dallas country club with all them fine folk in dallas (laughs) and uh, i was in there and i showed them i said hey look i just did this this morning you know while we were sitting here i went onto the site here's a screen capture i did it in real time i said Right now in Dallas, Texas, here's what's for sale. So if you've been at JCPenney's or these places, chances are your credit card information has been compromised. What well, that is that's crazy. Actually, how do you feel about the you know, they're putting the chips in all the cards now? Those microchips or whatever? Is that gonna yep. help? Absolutely, that'll help. And let me tell you why that's called the EMV chip, the Eurocard Master or the Euro MasterCard Visa, uh, Eurocard MasterCard Visa chip started in Europe. So when I was traveling, um, I, I was a vice president at a large technology company, and in a, a previous role with Cisco too. I was I had global responsibilities, so you know you'd go there, and they would bring the credit card terminal to you. You'd swipe your card in there. Um, the card would never leave your hand. It was all done through the machine, so even the server wouldn't see it. So what this chip on there now is the EMV chip. The Magstripe is the biggest source of fraud in credit card. In fact, the United States is the last country to really adopt uh, the chip and PIN standard Mm -hmm. because it means that all your information is encrypted. From the minute you stick the card in, going over the network to the – see, now here's what happens. Even though you're using a MasterCard or a Visa, even with the bank, it goes to a third-party credit card processor for processing and then then the approval code is sent back to the merchant and then only then are the funds transferred into the person whose account it should go to and then the fee goes to the issuer of the card like your bank or something Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of people touching this data and like with target the target data breach this information was not encrypted i mean it was it was in the open at sitting at rest at this credit card processor and i worked an intrusion case with the credit card processor and I was just flummoxed. I said, you don't encrypt this data? I almost walked out of the place. I'm like, you're killing me. Right. You guys got the keys to the kingdom. You got This is my credit card data in here. Right. It's like OPM. OPM didn't encrypt any of the personnel files, my classified personnel file. No encryption. You're kidding me. This day and age? Yeah, well, you know, that's interesting because I recently got an email, and I want to talk about this in, in actually in general, um, monitoring identity theft. I know that's one of your cardinal rules like you need to get an identity theft monitor and uh apparently my stuff was stolen like from the government i don't know there was a big thing recently and i got an email that was like your information's been stolen we just bought you identity theft monitoring for the next three years (laughs) i was like what just happened and so So even at the highest probably listed on somebody's background um on the opm breach the office of personnel and management Hmm. That's probably what it was. And now, but so again, I, again, call me naive, call me whatever. I was like, well, I got identity theft uh, stuff. I use mostly credit cards. And if somebody steals that, the credit card company is going to pay for it. 
I know this is probably a stupid way to live. No, you hit upon a key thing. First of all, um, I was offered the same stuff too, and it's crap. It's is just it? crap monitoring kit because, for one thing, in the Office of Personnel Management, what they stole, they didn't get a single credit card of mine off my uh, SF-86, my standard Form 86. Not a single credit card is on there. However, what's on there is my name, address, date of birth, social security number, where I've worked, what work I've done, um, who I've associated with, who they contacted for my background checks. Mm. You know, And there are some people in the government who have worked in very sensitive positions that include things like our information is classified, and yet this is so no amount of credit monitoring and you can get credit monitoring for free most likely many times from your bank. So, yeah, that was crap stuff. What's really important to monitor are places where your bank account numbers are. You know, even your credit card numbers, um, Not the, it doesn't matter about the bank. Your credit card number is a string of 16 or 17 if you're American Express. Those are unique numbers. Um, your Social Security number, monitoring that. Healthcare information like your medical ID, passport numbers. Many, I mean, right now, IRS fraud is one of the largest things. It'll be, it was five point seven billion last year. It'll be bigger than that this year. Why? Because thieves steal your information. They get it from these. Guess what they do? They use phishing and spear phishing emails, and spear phishing emails to get companies like Seagate. Just happened to them. Somebody in uh, HR thinks they got an email from the CEO that said, "Hey, I need all the W twos. Send them to me right away." So what do people do? They stupidly send all the W twos instead of going. WTF over, right. why does the CEO want all of the W-2s? Mm-hmm. I mean, ask the obvious question. And, you know, here's a um, – I was doing a piece on uh, Fox Business uh, just a couple days ago, and we were talking about exactly that. And I said, look, here's an easy way to do it. It's Katy Perry. Call me maybe. Pick up the phone and call me. <laughs> right. Hey, I know, you know, this is crazy. Here's my number. Can I just verify this? Are, you know, you're the CEO, but do you really want me to send you over email? I love that song, by the way. Oh, yeah. Hey, look, I, I've seen I'm actually going to do I was thinking about doing a take on it, you know, um, about, you know, for spear phishing, you know, and doing so, about how to verify stuff. But we've forgotten the art of picking up the phone and talking to people. It's kind of like uh, years ago when you were younger, I was <laughs> in my prime. But uh, the, the I love you virus was going around. I don't know what that is. Well, it's yeah, that's see, it's happened back in 2000, but it shut down the entire health and human services network. The HHS and the government, Mm -hmm. Um, I was running an incident response team, and we were responding to this. We predicted what would happen. But here's the deal. You know, you're a young, strapping lad. You know, I'm buff, older gentleman. You know, I'm I'm in good shape. And we could be friends. We all be drinking beer, have be beer buddies, you know, and stuff like that. But I got to tell you, if you sent me an email that said, I love you as the subject line, I'm going, what is wrong with you? Why am I clicking on this? But people did. You know, big tough guys clicked on these links. People's behavior hasn't changed. They think we're more secure now than we are. No, actually, we're less secure. You know why? Because we've forgotten common sense in most of this stuff. Yeah, it actually, I got a phone call. And I I don't say these things to make it about me. It's because I know it's happened to other people. I got a phone call, and it just said, this is the IRS. We um, are going to be filing a lawsuit against you. Call us back immediately. And that was it. And I was like, if the IRS wanted to talk to me, why would they tell me to call them back? <laughs> Did it sound something like this? Here, yeah. listen to this. Okay. Thanks for calling Internal Revenue Service. How can I help you? Um, yeah, I get- so that I have That's several recordings. Crazy. I record these guys. I have one on here. You'll love this too. I have one guy on here. I kept them on the phone for 35 minutes and 20 seconds. I did my own personal denial of service attack against the guys. I love it. Oh, you got to have fun, but that, that's what happened. But see, that's the that's the um, 
uh, offline stuff. So online is when you, you respond to email, web, social media, things like that. Offline is when you're at home and they're calling you on the telephone or somebody even comes to your door and say, hey, we're doing a survey. You know, we, and they start asking you lots of inappropriate uh, questions. Most of the, in the political season, that kind of happens, but I don't even give them information. And then real world is you're out filling out forms or you're out, you're talking on the phone, ordering things with your credit card sitting at the Starbucks and, and some idiot next to you is copying down your credit card number, your expiration date, and your three-digit security code. I mean, how foolish is that? Yeah, and I've seen a lot of these these skimmers now, the, the credit cards and bank card skimmers. Yep. That sounds pretty terrifying. Well, look, we're both here in the Northern Virginia area. Uh, you and I are in Loudoun County, as we found out. Yep. Uh, I, I, had I known you were just like right down the road, like you said, we'd be doing our first in-person podcast yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, but in a restaurant here in Loudoun County was a gentleman who was using a card skimmer, and he would take – and this – I mean, there was – I can't think of how many hundreds of cards he did, but exactly what he did. Even in a restaurant, he'd take the card, skim it, get the information, bring it back to you. But there are card skimmers that are in ATMs mm-hmm. and your the gas pumps at gas stations. So they are just – crooks are clever. The, they think differently than law-abiding people do. That's why law-abiding people keep falling for these things because they don't think like criminals. You can think like you don't have to act like a criminal, but you got to start thinking a little bit differently if you want to prevent yourself from being the next victim. All right. Well, let's talk about that then. People have gotten scared enough. We understand. <laughs> okay, online, don't click links, don't download things, don't you know install things on the computer. Be careful with email and social. What else? Well, here, so what we're going to do, and I know at the end we'll talk about this, but um, I've got a page for your folks who listen to this podcast. It's okay. called identitysecurity.com forward slash smart, SMT, or I'm sorry, S-M-A-R-T for smart people podcast. Mm-hmm. So identitysecurity.com forward slash smart. If you go there, you can download this guide. It's called the 2016 uh, Guide to Identity Security, How to Become an Identity Security Warrior. I mean, you've really got this. This is, this is a warrior mindset. You've got to take these guys on. So everything I'm going to say now is all in the guide, so don't worry about taking notes, folks out there. You know, it's it's all in the guide with links to videos um, and web pages and resources. So, um, yeah, let's let's talk about because I think there's probably four to five things people can do right now that are easy to do that don't cost them any money that will raise their level of protection so high they'll become too tough of a target, and ninety five percent of the criminals are just going to pass you by. I love it. I love it. Let's hear it. Well, first thing is, believe it or not, um, if you use any kind of Google account, and I do, look, I know that they got lots of information. Everybody complains about the NSA, but Google no more is about what you're going to do than the NSA does. Um, but if you use any kind of a Google account, and I'm a small business, I use uh, the business accounts from Google, the Gmail, the, the apps. I use what's called two-factor authentication. Google has an app called Authenticator. Authenticator. And it's free to use, and many sites... And what two-factor authentication is, is even if it, it, it's a username and a password that you put in, and then when you put it in there, it's going to ask you then for this six-digit code that recycles every 30 seconds. So uh, even if I gave you my username and password right now, which I actually have for you folks listening, um, if you want to um, – actually, I forgot the password. I'll have to give it to you. <laughs> um, it was called – but I have a Gmail account called breakinandwind at gmail.com. And I offer people, said, you break in, and if you can, if because it's protected with two-factor authentication, if you can break in, I'll give you five hundred bucks. We'll wow. see if Google's really good. So, wait, so how's that? Where do you get the code from? Well, so here's the way it works. So I I go through all of that in the guide that I give you, and actually okay. have a video on it too. So the way Authenticator works, it's just an app for your Android or your iPhone, 
And when you have a, uh, for example, it's used for more than just Google stuff. For example, I use uh, Google Authenticator for Facebook. I use it for Dropbox, for Evernote. In fact, I am pulling up right now what I have on my Authenticator. I have Amazon Web Services, GitHub, Tumblr. Uh, yeah, I still have something with Tumblr. Hootsuite, nice. Microsoft, Kickstarter, Buffer, uh, Facebook, MailChimp, um, some hosting services, Slack, believe it or not. Um, so, yeah, so what this is is there's a little barcode on there, or, I mean a, um, uh, a QR code. So you just scan it with the QR code. It links it up. You put in your password, and then this secret algorithm Google has, it creates this random six-digit number. To you, it appears, but it changes every 30 seconds. Even if I gave you the number and you tried to put it in 31 seconds from now, right. it wouldn't work. So that's that's a that's another level of security. That means they would have to have your name, your password, and the six-digit code that's only good for 30 seconds. Can you imagine? I'm saying, hey, look, you can break into the bank, but that safe's only going to be open for 30 seconds, and you got to get there at the right time. Right. You're trying to figure, well, which bank is it? Can't tell you, but you got to be at the bank. The door's going to be open for only 30 seconds. So even if I gave you the name and password, you still have to have that code. And so here's a free piece of advice, folks. If anybody asks you for your six-digit code, just say no. Don't give it to them. They're trying to break into your account. Well, does that mean every time you use any of those um, apps and platforms that you mentioned, you type in username, password, and six-digit code? Funny you should mention that. No, because the uh, authenticator, it there's a level of trust, too. For example, on my MacBook Pro, it's in my physical possession. So when it's with me, um, it takes a it takes a password to get into the screen. My entire disk is encrypted. So if I go into a site, um, like I have my username saved, I'll type in my password. It does not ask me for that authenticator code except once every 30 days just to make sure you still are who you say you are. But if I were to go to a uh, an Internet cafe in a foreign country like uh, where I've been at before in Malaysia or Pakistan or Indonesia – and I want to log into my email, it'll recognize that I'm coming in from an untrusted computer, and it'll say, uh-oh, you've got to put in your authenticator code for you to access this information. Gotcha. Okay, so that's similar to, I have that set up for my Gmail account, and they text you. I chose not to do the text. Mm -hmm. Instead, I chose to do the authenticator because I put, but that's the other option. With Google, you can turn on two-factor authentication, or you can get a text code. I mean, even with PayPal, folks, you folks out there using PayPal, Use the two-factor authentication. You say, well, it takes too long. You know what takes long? Recovering your identity and your bank account when you got to make 150 phone calls and spend 3,000 hours on the phone to get your money back. That's what takes long. So quit whining about five seconds it takes to input a six-digit code. No, I agree with you, actually. The, the one you were talking about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into that. And that's in your guide, which, again, identitysecurity.com slash smart. I appreciate you putting that up there. Yeah, well, actually, we want to we we train people. And look, you know, the other thing, too, is encryption. Use encryption. If you can encrypt, if you're on a Mac or Windows, encrypt your data. How do you do no, that? Uh, there, you'll, you'll find it in the, uh, for example, if you're on a Mac, it's right in there in your settings. It's called File Vault. So you can turn on File Vault and it encrypts. I encrypt even my uh, backup drives and my backup of my iPhone to uh, iTunes. Every I encrypt everything. Interesting. Uh, look, I used to work in the government. I did work for the government. Been to fun places like Pakistan and Turkey and Colombia, all that good stuff. It's not that I don't trust the government, is that I trust me more than I trust anybody else. So I encrypt everything. Actually, and speaking about that, because we, we, we got to wrap up, we didn't touch too much on it, but you do have a fascinating background. And, um, I, you know, I'll talk about it a little bit in the intro. But what is like, what is your greatest fear knowing what you know and like what's going on with the world and how wars are being fought basically online? What do we fear? What are we fighting? 
right now? What have you seen? Uh, there's actually two things that concern me. Uh, one is about critical infrastructure. The other one is about uh, terrorism. So from a critical infrastructure standpoint, we are woefully ill-prepared to respond to a massive attack against our critical infrastructure. For example, this malicious software out there called Black Energy, a uh, hacking group called Sandworm with very close ties to the Russian government, has developed version 3 of the Sandworm, and that's what was used to turn off the lights in Ukraine. 83,000 homes without power. They even did a denial of service attack against the customer service center to prevent people from calling in. It is a known concept of war, and in fact, it was very well articulated by an Israeli major general who retired. He says, if you want to bring a nation to its knees, you go after their power and their energy. And that's, we are just, like I said, from that standpoint, woefully prepared. On the other side of it, um, I spent some time as a senior advisor in the U.S. State Department's Anti-Terrorism Assistance Program, Diplomatic Security Service, and like I said, went to places like Pakistan and Turkey. And, uh, what concerns me now is the ease of which you can inspire terrorism. And it's not – you don't have to travel to uh, Afghanistan and go to Kabul and sit in a hut with some uh, Anwar al-Awlaki and get indoctrinated. And there's a whole theory behind that, but um, there's more to it than that. Anyway, enough to say is that the San Bernardino terrorists – and I won't even mention their name because I don't even – these pukes don't even need to get any kind of recognition. Yeah. They were inspired. They, they never had a single direct contact with anybody in ISIS – uh, they had no. Uh, they had no need to uh, travel anywhere. They were. They got all the training they needed, the propaganda they need. So that's the part that concerns me: is how easy it is to use social media to inspire terrorism. And look, the U.S. at its heart, on our shell, we're hard and crunchy. On the inside, we're soft and chewy. We have a lot of soft targets, from shopping malls to schools to things like that. So we really do have some uh, things to worry about. Um, and yeah, I, it's not that I, I lose sleep over it, but let's put it this way. I'm very careful about, um, you know, things like when I see activity, you can't be afraid to call it in. And this gets beyond just, uh, you know, um, the cyber stuff we're talking about. But when you look at how technology inspires things, you got to forget the political correctness. If you see something that is wrong, then send it, say it, let somebody know. But sticking your head in the sand is not going to save people's lives. And on the other hand, quick clicking, you know, the easiest way we compromise our critical infrastructure is you, the the Ukraine power plant was a corrupted word document that had a macro in it that was loaded with a malware attachment ah. that's how black energy got in a word document with a macro attachment that with a macro that was it that's all it took i mean that's like that's like taking down a a, a stealth bomber with a <laughs> slingshot are you kidding me i love that analogy that's pretty good yeah i mean all this stuff it, it is scary it's happening i you know, I really appreciate you getting this message out there. Identitysecurity.com slash smart. Download the guide. I'm going to actually do that because I need to step up my game a little. I actually just listened to, and, and this is why it's timely. So you probably heard of, and most people listening have heard of Tim Ferriss, and he's got a podcast as well. And, uh, you know, I'm going to promote it just because it's great for no reason. He doesn't even know who I am. But there was an episode recently, one of the smartest guys in the world, IQ of 197, and he, Tim asked him, like, what do you do to make your life easier? And he said, when I can prevent really annoying things happening, I do it. He said, so I check the air pressure in my spare tire once a year. I buy AAA. I, you know, I put yep. my name and my phone number on things that I don't want to lose. And it's kind of stuff like this, right? You go... Ah, it's just extra. What are the chances? 
but it's going to happen. Like you said, I mean, something's going to happen and you don't have to be paranoid, but you have to be prepared. No, I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss. Got his four-hour workweek book. I listened to a lot of, in fact, one of the people he interviewed is a good friend of mine, again, Mark Goodman, a futurist. Uh, him and I actually uh, taught and lectured out at the police college in Dubai back in the day, you know, a few <laughs> years ago. So, uh, no, that's good stuff, but you're right. There are there are simple things. The guide is the 12 do's, the 12 don'ts. Um, and I'm telling you, you don't have to spend any money, really, maybe except getting a shredder. Um, but other than that, most of this stuff is just simple stuff you can do. And I do uh, encourage you, in fact, um, uh, number five under the 12 do's is get identity theft protection. You guys can click on that link and find out what it is I use. But I strongly suggest you get identity theft protection uh, because you need somebody out there looking for your back in places you don't have the time or capability to look. So yeah, just just put a few tools together. Most of this stuff is free. You can do and become an identity security warrior, and the next time some hacker, scammer, or thief comes after you, you know you can give him the uh, secret judo chop that I also teach you in this course and uh, put those guys back where they belong. I need to learn a real judo chop. I just <laughs> realized there was a question I wanted to ask you. Yep. Uh, you know, current event style, and you've probably gotten this a lot, so forgive me, but the Apple, th- you mentioned San Bernardino uh, yep. and Apple and asking them to create a backdoor like I'm not a tech guy, but I've heard different sides of the story. One being why, like, well, first, do you agree with it? And is it true that if they create a backdoor for this one phone that all of, all of us are screwed? Like what's really going on there? So I refer you back to my identitysecurity.com. If you look on my blogs, I actually wrote a post on the Apple versus DOJ because I was at the RSA conference. I listened to Loretta Lynch, the attorney general speak about this, but I've actually spoken about this quite a few, um, appearances on Fox about Apple DOJ. So here's my thing. Number one, words mean things. So um, I'm going to correct you on one word. It is not a backdoor. A backdoor, what a backdoor really is, is something that's universally found in all software, all hardware. So for example, when Juniper and uh, I can't think of who else, a couple other folks found hard-coded passwords uh, that allowed somebody to remote in and use a hard-coded password, that is a backdoor. What the FBI asked of Apple was three things, and only three things. Number one, and it's not creating a new version of software. It's all, it's the same software. This is just like adding another feature to the software. And all they wanted to do was bypass the passcode on the front of the phone. And one thing people should understand is that phone did not belong to the terrorists. It belongs to the county of San Bernardino. It is a government-owned phone. It is not a private citizen. So there is no expectation of privacy in a government-owned piece of equipment. Zero. That's that's Nobody disagrees with that. That's longstanding um, Supreme Court doctrine cases, you know, so, number one, let's, let's put that on the table so it's not a backdoor. All the FBI wants to do is get past the passcode because, as you know, one of the things they did when they updated the phones, and I have a six, is that now there is a li- – you can set the limit to ten. Right. One to four attempts, there's no penalty, uh, time penalty. Five, five six, uh, there's like a minute or so. Then it gets up to the point where there's an hour, and then it wipes your data after the 10th unsuccessful attempt. So the FBI doesn't want that to happen. Right. They want Apple to uh, help them be able to connect their computer, which does a dictionary attack and a password cracking uh, scheme, to try and figure out now what the password is so they can unlock the data. And then the third thing they're asking for is don't rate limit us. In other words, let us go as fast as the hardware is capable of accepting a password input. So for these folks that said um, that, hey, um, uh, you know, it's a backdoor, it, you know, and I've, I've written this too. It is not a backdoor. And I don't, I'm passionate about it just from the standpoint is I'm a law and order guy. These people killed 
14 people, seriously wounded, 22. Now, would we be having the same discussion if it was 14 Apple employees and 22 seriously wounded at one infinite loop, uh, uh, Cupertino, California? I don't think so. And my response back to many of the people in the tech community, if that's your case, then simply make this statement is that even if it was your family at risk, your friends at risk, your mother at risk, your employees at risk, that you would take the same stand Apple has and that you do not agree that providing this information to the government is constitutional or correct. If you can do that, then you're principled and I'll back your play. But if your answer is different for one thing because it doesn't affect you, but your answer changes when it affects you, then you're a hypocrite. But here's and the this thing. Isn't- didn't, didn't Tim Cook come out and say, if we do this, we are screwing everyone? And Now, that's what right? he said, but you got to remember there's a difference between um, sales and delivery. He's, 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 he's in the sales job right now. He's in the marketing. Look, I'm a big fan of Apple, um, but Tim Cook is, is uh, parsing his words in a way, too, that it's designed to engender – a certain support and a certain backing to promote their position, which is they don't want to comply with this. Well, guys, I got to tell you, people have been complying with this. Apple was complying with this up through iOS 7. In fact, on their website, which is in my blog post, I'd link to the actual page where they provide the law enforcement support. They say, send us the phone along with a hard drive or a thumb drive that's twice the size of the storage that uh, of the phone you're sending us. We will unlock the phone, recover the data for you, and send it back to you. So are you so telling me... They get- are when did t- they get religion? Right. Are you telling me that they made this decision basically fairly recently and your opinion is that a lot of it is a not a marketing ploy, but it's a stance they're taking as a culture of their organization well, and they're utilizing it to their benefit? It's the post-Snowden effect. Um, you know, the revelations from Snowden about uh-huh. what data they got, it affects Apple's marketing and, and their, their perception in other countries. Well, I will tell you this, too, another dirty little secret, which is in my blog post, is Apple already submits to, quote, and I'm using air quotes here with my finger, security audits with the country of China, and all data is not stored in California, which is where they store all the other data for iCloud and everything else. Data in China is stored in China. So tell me that there's not some snooping going on by the Chinese government, their Ministry of State Security, the MSS. I guarantee it is. But, I mean, again, it's one of those things. Uh, I just I have a hard time because, to me, I'm still a law and order guy. I remember walking across the bridge on 9-11, seeing the Pentagon burning. Um, I lived through the D.C. sniper case. I was doing work in the intelligence community and, and with the government. These things are personal to me, so I don't have, um, I don't have any heartburn saying unlock the phone. Right. You can say, given your experience, I mean, really – that this is something Apple can do that will not harm the rest of us. Uh, Apple can do this. They, they, I can tell you right now they probably have already done it in a secret lab somewhere just to test to see if they can do it, how it would work. Uh-huh. Uh, because at the end of the day, um, you ha- I mean, look, it's a lawful court order. If nobody gets, no one company gets to tell the United States how to defend national security. I mean, that's like saying, well, uh, you can only buy guns from uh, Smith and Wesson because we're going to supply the entire United States. That's just the, that's the law. I mean, you can't do stuff like that. And Apple can't be the only company responsible for determining the national security of the United States. So it's a lawful court order. Now they have their chance to appeal it, but if they're overruled and they say you have to comply, it's really clear. It's either comply or somebody's going to go to jail. It's right. simple as that. Right. And and again, the reason I ask, I mean, I understand your stance on it as a as a law and order guy. Mine, I think, if anybody cares, would be, you know, you do have to look at the damage it could cause, uh, the repercussions it could cause. So if what is being promoted in some media aspect, and I haven't taken a a big look into this, so whatever, is 
yes, if we do this, all of your data for the rest of time, every human is much more vulnerable to attack. I think that's a worthy story and something to look into. But essentially, but that's not really the case. That's not the case. In fact, what the FBI Director Comey said is that, look, we don't even want to see the software. We'll send the phone to you. They'll obviously have an agent with it for chain of custody. We, we don't even want to see your software. You just hook up. You run it. We'll connect to it electronically. We'll do the stuff we need to. And when we're done, you can destroy the software. We don't even want it. Hmm, interesting. Well, I think that's a great place to end. I'm glad we covered that because that's <laughs> a, I love that. That's a great topic. Um, Morgan, again, thanks so much for being on. Uh, identitysecurity.com and is there anywhere else that um, you know our listeners should find you learn about you you know make themselves more safe absolutely well look at the bottom of that page when they go to identitysecurity.com slash smart mm-hmm. uh, down at the bottom you can find me on warrior nation so I've got a Twitter account at Morgan Wright underscore us a Facebook account um, I'm on LinkedIn so if you can't find me you're not trying hard enough if you just <laughs> Google I'm there I love it all right, Morgan, thank you again so much, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. All right, See you. Have a good one. Okay, bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Morgan Wright. Don't forget to head over to his website, identitysecurity.com smart, to download a free identity security guide. If this interview got you interested in how to protect yourself online, this free identity security guide is just for you. Head over to the site, check it out. Again, it's identitysecurity.com slash smart. If this is your first time checking out Smart People Podcast, welcome to the community. We really do appreciate you downloading the episode. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode before it, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating, review, and comment over there. And if you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show, Don't forget to use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon anytime that you're making purchases through Amazon. And let's be honest, it's probably all the time. If you'd like to reach out to the show, please shoot us an email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. Don't forget we have our first webinar coming up on Thursday, March 24th. So head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash BIRSS, B-I-R-S-S, to get more information about that and to register for your free spot. As always, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up, so make sure you stay tuned. Check out smartpeoplepodcast.com, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>